centers should be looking at. Uh, there, there's uh, a growing movement, and it began again in the final years of the Trump administration to look at asset managers, people who are running money for retail investors, pension funds, and looking at the portfolio. You know, some people are focused on environmental issues and whether they invest in companies that uh, pollute, and uh, more and more people are looking at whether the portfolio managers, asset managers, invest uh, retail investor or, or, or pension fund money in, in companies that are connected to China and what the level of connection to China is. There's some criticism for any investing in, in companies listed in China or that do business in China, or there's more sensitivity uh, to companies with a closer relationship to the government in certain industries that do business in certain parts of China that maybe have a relationship to military procurement. Uh, and this issue is not going to go away, and people and companies are going to come under a lot of criticism, and they're going to need a response to that. Okay. Ross, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Safepro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this week, or sorry, this morning. In Australia, the SX200 off a third of a percent. Nikkei 225 in Japan up 0.4%. Uh, stocks have started trading in South Korea, and they are down the Cosby off half a percent. And futures markets indicating a decline of about a third of a percent for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil rallying a bit this morning at $82.75 a barrel. Gold uh, is up slightly at $1,851 an ounce. And that's it from me. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for back chats with Jim Gould and Paul Zimmerman this morning. The weather forecast, mainly fine, very dry, slightly cooler in the morning. Maximum temperature will be about 24 degrees and then mainly fine and very dry in the next couple of days. There is a red fire danger warning in force. The temperature is 21 degrees, 42% relative humidity. 8.32 with the news headlines, here's Todd Harding. China and the United States have issued a rare joint statement setting out plans to work together to combat global warming. As the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow enters its final days, the world's two biggest emitters of greenhouse gases said they recognised that the coming decade would be decisive. Their statement stresses the vital importance of closing the gap between the efforts made so far to tackle the problem and those that are needed. Xie Jinhua is China's climate envoy. We're willing to continue to work with the United States to strengthen dialogue and cooperation on climate change, following the spirit and instructions of our two presidents. We are committed to jointly implementing our Shanghai Joint Agreement and this joint declaration, and make our dialogue and cooperation more concrete and more pragmatic, contributing to our bilateral relations and the multilateral process. Mr. Scher's counterpart, the U.S. climate envoy John Kerry, said the joint pledge to cut greenhouse gas emissions faster was an important step. The United States and China have no shortage of differences, but on climate, on climate, cooperation is the only way to get this job done. This is not a discretionary thing, frankly. This is science. It's math and physics that dictate the road that we have to travel. And we cannot reach our goals unless all of us work together. Every country, and China and the United States particularly, as the two largest emitters in the world, both have to help show the way. Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who's hosting the COP26 summit, says a deal on limiting climate change is in sight but a determined push will be needed to get it over the line. Negotiators are trying to thrash out a final agreement with the summit due to conclude tomorrow. 
A population health scholar has warned that poverty in the SAR is likely to get worse unless wages are boosted. Paul Yip of the University of Hong Kong made the comment after official figures showed an increase in underlying levels of poverty last year as a result of the COVID pandemic. The figures showed that the rate of actual poverty declined as a result of one-off government relief measures. Professor Yip says working people have been hit hardest. What we're really seeing now because of the, during the COVID-19, I think we have more people, they do not have a full-time job. And then they, some of them, they, end up, they do not need enough work. So what happened when you're looking at the poverty rate among the employed people? It actually, the employed people have some improvement, but it's just those people who have not enough work. I think they are the ones, I think, who suffer more, I think, in 2020. What should be done? I think what we believe that I think the Hong Kong government do spend a lot of money. I mean, trying to bring down the poverty rate, but I don't think the money has been spent most effectively. I think if we can deal with the poverty with more precision and more targeted measures, I think it will be more effective. For, for example, I think if we can help, I think those people, I think uh, who are in very low wages, I think if they can bump up, I think their minimum wages, I think that will help. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. On today's programme, we're talking about increasing fuel costs and environmentally friendly alternatives. Electricity users will have to pay up to 7% more on their bills from January as the power companies are forced to deal with surging costs of natural gas and other fuel. Energy experts and environmentalists are also warning that power bills around the world will continue to go up in the years ahead amid efforts to introduce cleaner fuels and reduce carbon emissions. And after 9.15, we're looking at the possibility of polling stations being set up at border checkpoints to allow Hong Kong people who live in the mainland to cast their votes in next month's LegCo election. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Joining us now on the line, we have William Yu, Chief Executive of the World Green Organisation, and also Kitty Tam, Assistant Manager for Conservation Policy with WWF Hong Kong. I should also say that we did invite representatives of the power companies to join the discussion this morning, but they were unable to put anybody forward. We're also looking for a business association to talk about the effect of the increases on SMEs, but again, no luck there. Anyway, we are lucky enough to have, as I say, William Yu and Kitty Tam. Uh, so uh, good morning to you both. Um, um, William Yu, so the increases in electricity bills, uh, you were saying yesterday that in future we could be looking at uh, double digit, uh, especially for, uh, well, 2023, right? Um, yes, mm. certainly. Um, mainly due to the increase uh, in the need for a new uh, CCGT gas power plant now we have one, uh, but we will have another one. So that will result in the increase in the net asset value. So um, again, that uh, also uh, expert pressure in uh, the increase in the electricity tariff. So, um, and also I, I can tell uh, the, the trend 
is uh, continues to in, increase in the in our field, that especially natural gas. And you can see uh, the oil price has uh, doubled uh, compared to that of last year. So um, that all all these factors will lead to a continued surge in our electric, uh, electricity costs. Okay, just for the uh, benefit of the listeners, uh, would you like to explain the, the technology involved there in the CCTG uh, gas power plant? Uh, I think they, they uh, pretty simple is compared to the coal fire plant. Uh, uh, we we now you uh, use uh, natural gas to re- replace the coal, and also um, the efficiency. I mean, um, uh, for the input and output, you have a higher output. Uh, for for the electricity generated, and when you burn all this uh, natural gas, that is to uh, turn the turbine, uh, and then uh, again generating the electricity. So um, it's a, a, a cleaner one in using natural gas um, with uh, less than half of the carbon emissions when compared to the coal fire plant. So uh, that's why we are making a transition to a cleaner energy. But is it more expensive in the end per uh, kilowatt? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Compared to coal, um, we we enjoy coal for a long time, although polluted, but uh, uh, less expensive. So now natural gas is about three times higher compared to that of coal. So that's why we we have a, 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 a higher electricity bill. But, but you said it's, it's going to be more efficient. Is it going to be three times more efficient as well, or is it... Um... Uh, no, 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 no. Um, we are talking about, uh, uh, um, you know, in different countries, uh, depends thing on, on the model, like coal-fired plants, 50%, uh, maybe 60% uh, in efficiency, and uh, maybe now keep improving due to the technology. So, um, but that... Uh, Although the there is an improvement, but that cannot offset, you know, the the, the big difference between the cores. And the, those ga- that gas plant, when is it going to be operational? Gas, uh, the first one is already uh, uh, in operation, and then um, for the second one, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, that the D one uh, in uh, Longgutan, uh, so in that area for CLP uh, now has uh, completed. Now uh, the another new plan will come in place maybe uh, 2023. So we so, so that means we we hit uh, uh, that the energy uh, cost, the electricity cost in Hong Kong is hit by two factors. Then uh, we're switching over to uh, natural gas, and we have uh, inflation raging around the world. Uh, uh, yes, uh, because of the scheme of control. You know, the, uh, th- that leads to the uh, the pressure in increasing the electricity bill. That is because you uh, ha- you bring in new uh, assets. So um, because we have uh, the hardware, the new uh, gas power plant, but uh, also we need to buy fuel to, to burn and generate electricity. So uh, another factor is uh, the fuel. Uh, but I can see the fuel costs continue to increase. Okay, uh, Kitty Tam, good morning to you. Morning, 
Well, thanks for joining us. Um, so Hong Kong is committed to phasing out the use of coal in power generation by 2035. Uh, coal is relatively cheap, but also it's the most uh, polluting of the fossil fuels. Um, how easy do you think it's going to be to achieve that target? Uh, I actually think that uh, Hong Kong should achieve this target earlier because uh, like there's a cost uh, it's cheaper to use the coal, but then the government should also consider there's also a cost for air pollution, for the health of the planet. So actually, all those costs add up might be like even more higher than the cost that we are paying for the power itself. So the government should change to more uh, green energy like solar panel, uh, wind power, uh, and phase out coal as soon as possible. In terms of renewal, renewable energy, what is the most uh, practical source, do you think, for a place like Hong Kong? Um, wind power, solar power? Uh, I think it will be a mix of different stuff uh, because, uh, as, you, as you know, Hong Kong is a city and then we are, we are having a lot of uh, high-rise buildings. And I personally think that uh, solar is already running in Hong Kong and we should do more. Uh, for example, on top of the government buildings, on top of the school building, in the open space, in the highway, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for us to play solar panel. And also uh, on top of the reservoirs. Uh, but I think that um, we will need to consider the impact to the environment when we when we do all this renewable energy to solve the climate crisis, uh, because we also need to balance with the biodiversity crisis that we are facing. So the government must, uh, or the project proponent must work on a very robust uh, EIA or even a, a regional strategic uh, environmental impact assessment. And uh, for wind farms, um, in the policy address and in the climate action plan 2050 plus, the government did mention uh, about uh, uh, some 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 ideas on wind farm, more in wind farm in the oceans in in Hong Kong or even regional cooperation. For that, uh, I strongly advise the government to conduct marine spatial planning beforehand, so that we know where it's uh, best to build the wind farm and to avoid the uh, important ecological uh, habitat. So, but realistically, how much, uh, you know, what percentage of our energy consumption can we, uh, can we provide through these measures, solar energy and wind energy? Uh, the, the percentages that, uh, that have been reported in uh, various studies are very low. Yes, uh, actually, the since 2016, we have been advocating for 10% renewable energy generated uh, locally uh, by 2030. And uh, we, we think that it's, it's possible if the government works faster or maybe even through regional cooperation. And, but then uh, we also need to look into energy efficiency because if you keep using more and more energy, but then uh, there's like only a limited amount of uh, energy available. So we need to reduce our use as well. 
But isn't it that the uh, the only effective way for Hong Kong to clean up uh, our uh, uh, you know, get away from the fossil fuel um, is, is, is nuclear. Uh, recent reports have shown that uh, the best way forward for Hong Kong would be to increase our nuclear energy uh, and support uh, the construction of nuclear plants on mainland. Yes, I, I, I've seen that report. Actually, I was at the report launch. Okay. Uh, to me, I think that I still have concern on nuclear. I think it is not 100% safe. And there's still like potential operation, you know, risk and, and potential waste. And we need to be really careful when we go into that uh, direction because we don't want to use another problem to solve a problem. So we must use innovation to think of what is the best. For example, like uh, green hydrogen is uh, potential as well. And we must be innovative and act quick. So, 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 you say green hydrogen? Yes. Yes, could you yeah, t- tell us a little bit more about how that works? Oh, the green hydrogen yeah. is... Um, I'm not a subject expert, but uh, a lot of uh, countries, they are already using this kind of uh, uh, energy. For example, in Japan, they have uh, 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 transport uh, using green hydrogen already. So it's through some uh, chemical reaction to separate the uh, uh, hydrogen uh, to the, the compound H, and then but then it is a quite dangerous uh, fuel. Need to manage it properly, and like uh, transportation of this fuel is also uh, 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 need to be very serious about it. Otherwise, there will be explosion. But the only byproduct from uh, using hydrogen is water, isn't it? So it's uh, it's actually yes. very environmentally friendly. Yeah. Yeah, but it's yes. the unicost the unicost is quite it's uh, that we start talking about this. And, and I I wonder is William uh, in terms of if we move away from fossil fuel uh, energy uh, production in Hong Kong, I mean where we're going to be on on pricing. I mean this uh, right now the fossil fuels. Price levels are shooting up, uh, and that's going to uh, be a burden on the on the consumer who's facing uh, inflation in all different areas already. Um, but if we sh- switch to the alternative energies, uh, nuclear and hydrogen, um, as well as the renewables, uh, s- solar and wind, where are we going to where are we going to be on pricing? Um, I think uh, what makes the difference is the change in our energy mix. Uh, with different types of energy uh, on our plate. And also, um, what makes the difference is about the fuel. I mean, in, uh, to buy the fuel, to burn the fuel, to generate electricity. But in the future, um, we don't need fuel for solar or wind technology. And uh, to a certain extent, uh, nuclear as well as uh, hydrogen. So uh, I I would like to supplement is um, first uh, I think uh, for renewable energy, especially solar and wind, that you know uh, certainly affect by the geographical uh, limitation in Hong Kong, and also when you consider the cost effectiveness, I I would say we should limit uh, our renewable energy in our total energy mix not more than 10 percent um we we have uh you know we need to find a suitable area with good uh 
say uh, the sunlight intensity or, or wind, uh, uh, the wind speed can fulfill. Otherwise, I, I think uh, we will see a very high cost in building all these uh, renewable uh, infrastructure. So if renewable oh. stays limited, then uh, how much, what kind of percentage do you see in the future for nuclear and uh, versus fossil or even uh, hydrogen versus so fossil? So nu nuclear, now we are around 23%. And um, the, the issue is uh, we have almost used up uh, all the percentage in Daya Bay. So uh, from uh, Guang, uh, Guangdong provinces. So if we need more nuclear, uh, first, the public will start to worry. Second is we need a, 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 a long-distance cable to connect to other nuclear plants, maybe in Yangon, Yanjiang, or the other area. So it is uh, far away and will be very expensive in making the connection. So um, then... The remaining, uh, more than 50% uh, of uh, now nuclear, uh, sorry, uh, natural gas, uh, should change to hydrogen, possible. So uh, for green hydrogen, uh, normally we have different types of technology. So for green hydrogen, more importantly is the source of energy you are going to use to generate the hydrogen. Um, if we, it comes from renewable energy, then we, we say, oh, it's uh, much cleaner than the brown one. Or we, we, if we still use coal to generate hydrogen, then then uh, that will be a discount in our carbon neutrality. So, so that's why uh, now we have different types of methods. Someone will use silicon, you know, to, to generate hydrogen uh, into gas and put it in the stem cell to generate electricity, to store the electricity. The others may use uh, electrolysis in the solar energy, you know, to generate all this hydrogen. So um, now uh, we will see different types of energy. But to save money, uh, to save uh, electricity uh, cost in the future is to explore how we can, again, modify our current gas power plant. Um, make it time to use hydrogen instead. That will reduce part of the cost. But, but, uh, but I, I think it's still an experiment. But, but that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, there is no economy or no city in the world that is uh, that that is uh, uh, using um, hydrogen uh, as as the main power supply. I think, uh, to my limited understanding, uh, some city small region in Germany, say for example, they they try to use uh, hydrogen as the main source of energy. Uh, but I, I would say it's a, in an experiment stage uh, to test the uh, safety standard, to test the, the need in uh, the transportation. So that that's important. And but in industrialized application, I mean for industrial production, actually hydrogen is commonly used. Now is how to convert it into the electricity generation mode as well as, you know, uh, massively used uh, by the public utility. I, I think now is, now is in the stage of transition. But again, uh, like 
uh, what Kitty said uh, mentioned before, safety remains a concern, uh, especially for a small place in Hong Kong. How we can safely to store to transport the hydrogen? That's uh, one of the key concerns and the main job for the Hong Kong government to set up uh, the safety procedures and standards. Okay, have an, an email here from a uh, listener, David, who suggests uh, other. Uh, sources of fuel uh, possibly. It says that Hong Kong could be using biofuel because we have plenty of waste oil and then it says uh, we could also be using uh, methane from uh, sewage waste and the landfills and I'm sure we could be making smokeless briquettes from compost uh, but we don't. Um, any uh, any mileage in any of those suggestions? Um, um, Kitty? Uh, actually WWF has been studying biofuels in Hong Kong and we are going to release a report uh, this month or next. Okay. Uh, so our finding is that a lot of this uh, wasted cooking oil uh, can be turned to biofuel. Uh, but then a lot of them, around I think 50%, they are exported. Or maybe even 100%, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't remember the exact amount. But a lot of these are not used locally because uh, it's difficult for people to go to the station to refill it because uh, I think there's only three stations, gas stations in Hong Kong that uh, have a biofuel supply. Uh, so there's some difficulties here. And then also for the cars, if you buy uh, some heavy vehicle, like for the big companies, uh, it's difficult for them to get insurance from the car company because they said uh, biofuel is not insured if you use biofuel. So there's a lot of difficulties. And because in Europe or other uh, Western countries, they have some subsidies, so they have uh, uh, they can pay a better price to buy the biofuel from, from us. So most of those uh, biofuels produced in Hong Kong, they are exported and not used locally. And we have... Uh, because there's a transition period uh, for the heavy vehicles or even aviation uh, to go 100% uh, uh, using uh, electricity. So WWF thinks that biofuel can be a potential transitional fuel uh, to a net zero uh, world. Okay, uh, another uh, message here on our Facebook from uh, John says uh, the electricity tariffs are too cheap, so cheap it is wasted. I mean, th there is an argument that e even though increases will affect uh, uh, businesses and, uh, and the less well-off and so on, um, fuel prices, uh, or higher fuel prices, will encourage people to, to use less and therefore help to cut down emissions. Um, uh, William Yu, is that, you know, is that what we need? Do we do we, do we need uh, power to be more expensive? Um, I I think if you compare to the global trend, um, we we will see the the uh, electricity tariff will continue to increase, and especially you you won't know about you some kind of carbon surcharge or carbon tax that will be imposed in, in the future when it comes to the, uh, uh, a very critical moment in uh, climate uh, impact. So, and also uh, our price uh, compared to the other electricity tariff rate uh, 
in the world, other countries, other cities. Um, uh, I, I would say they they have a higher electricity bill compared yeah. to us. Yeah. And so um, so I, I think we, we need to start to realize, you know, the cause for using energy, and it carries a a a a, 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 a higher price tag. Uh, that we we need to treasure the the usage, you know, not to waste for certain, but also you know uh, that generate carbon emissions, you know that is the way we need to compact, you know, in order to avoid any climatic disaster in the future. I I think that's the very original intention. We need to cut down our energy consumption. So, so, so I. Yeah. Uh, uh, is, uh, is is energy cheap here in Hong Kong? Electricity cheap in Hong Kong because it's subsidised, or uh, because we're very efficient in producing it? Um, Hong Kong is a very small place. We have a very small uh, operation, and also I, I think we invest uh, uh, for our infrastructure a long time ago. So that's why uh, we we are still cheaper than uh, Japan. Than Singapore, and uh, I, I think uh, it, it might not be able to compare to the countries like the UK. They they also have a very high electricity bill. Uh, the rate is quite high, um, but I I think um, we 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 have a very simple system, you know, to to so we're very efficient. That's why we have more costs. Uh, to a certain yeah. extent, very safe. Very efficient, yeah, to a okay. certain extent, yes. Okay, good. All right, well, stay with us. Uh, we've got to take a short break for the news at nine o'clock. We'll be back at uh, three minutes past. Um, do let us know your thoughts. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. A quick uh, look at the weather. Uh, mainly fine and very dry. Top temperature today around 24 degrees. Uh, the outlook is for uh, mainly fine and dry in the next couple of days. It's currently 21 degrees. Humidity 38%. Red fire danger warning. Back to back chat with uh, Paul Zimmerman and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, we're talking about uh, electricity uh, users having to pay up to seven percent more on their bills and increasing fuel costs and environmentally friendly alternatives. Uh, we have with us William Yu, chief executive of the World Green Organization, and Kitty Tam, assistant manager for conservation policy with WWF Hong Kong. And we're also, oh no, okay, we were hoping to to be joined uh, by Si Lai Shan from the Society for Community Organisation, but we don't uh, have her at the moment. Uh, so let's pick up uh, where we left off, uh, Paul. Yeah, uh, William, I mean, so if I understand it correctly, um, then we have uh, price increases because we want to switch to cleaner fuel. Uh, but we have also um, inflation um, going up quickly in, in, in different areas. I mean, are we going to see a situation where the local community is going to be very unhappy if we're going to switch to cleaner fuel uh, because they're already suffering inflation in in, um, in, in their wallets? Um, yeah, certainly. So that's why we, uh, uh, like, like our organization, World Green Organization, we uh, uh, propose to have uh, to give special support, especially to the vulnerable groups, the, those underprivileged families. We, we, for example, we went to the 
uh, divide the house, uh, the uh, partition homes, uh, to help them save energy, improving their quality of life. We went to a few hundred in the past. So uh, I I think uh, we should target, you know, the the needy group to to help them uh, to certainly relieve some of their economic burden that results from the increased electricity bill. That's mm. for certain. So CSSA um, payments and so on to increase for the for the energy cost. Um, I I think maybe two public utilities they they should uh, you know. Uh, uh, propose uh, some budget, uh, although, although they have done some, I, I would say, but to propose uh, uh, some more budget uh, to help those in need. And but now the the, the point is, um, in the past, uh, when we give our subsidies to everyone, uh, that results in the uh, surge in the electricity consumption. Because you and me would, would like to spend, you know, the, not not to waste uh, the subsidies and. Sometimes might lead to a, a, a higher use in our, hmm. uh, you know, habit in using energy. All right, so we I have a conflict here uh, between these, these these two factors. Then okay. Shilai Shan is, uh, I, I think, has now uh, joined us. Hi, the, hey, how are you? Good morning. Uh, but we just learned actually that. Uh, uh, we, we have a situation where, on the one hand, uh, you know, the uh, the energy cost is going up because of, of of inflation around the world, but also because we're switching to cleaner fuels, so for a cleaner environment. On uh, the other hand, uh, we've got inflation not just in the energy, but also food prices are going up, and uh, the uh, the at, at the um, the lower end society people that have less income they they are being squeezed harder and harder so where do you see this debate is going to go is is are we going to have uh, the uh, the community um, standing up against cleaner fuel and uh, because uh, the prices are rising too quickly uh, <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah, but I think the government and 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 the the company they can you can help to uh, provide some subsidy for the poor. Uh, uh, I think would be help uh, to 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 this situation. Yeah. So, so, so you, do you think that we've got to have targeted support? Um, so, what CSSA payment and things like that to to increase? What where do you see a need for the level of level uh, the level of increase can be. Uh, 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 bargain, I think, can be lower. Can, can it be lower? Or, of course, and besides, I think these two years is very special for the pan- pandemic of uh, COVID-19. And not only, actually, not only the underprivileged, also, also the every causes, uh, they suffer, but the, the grassroots will be suffer the most. So if they can both at least for one year, and then that uh, we bargain into how many, what kind of levels according to the increase of the fuel and it would be better, yeah. There, there, there are existing uh, relief measures for the less well-off to uh, to help with fuel bills, aren't there? Uh, there, there, there are already uh, subsidies uh, provided by the government uh, to help the less no, well-off. No, the, 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 the subsidy from the government cannot reach to the people. Because they don't have an individual bill, mm. and and the, the, they just go to the their nano, yeah. Uh, right. Okay. And of course, uh, we know that uh, because we also have the CLP to deliver some subsidy to the subsidiary, but um, the quota is not enough. So I think the government they can uh, they can have a uh, uh, something like uh, if they provide a subsidy, 
they need to um, address uh, the landlord need to if they are uh, have the subsidy flat, they need to provide the off the the subsidy give the subsidy to the subsidy flat. They will be better better. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, actually, they, they are not benefited as the people. Yeah. So you think it should be better targeted? So so each yeah, they should each be targeted, indi- and then or they should have a regulation to uh, state in the uh, uh, subsidy they must to give to their uh, uh, tenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, William Yu, um, w- would you expect then that uh, as we go forward, as uh, electricity bills uh, uh, become greater, um, it will be the less well-off to an extent is going to have to bear a disproportionate burden of that? Actually, um, if you look at the statistics um, uh, in the past, okay, not, not the most update one, but I study that uh, for the very rich group of people, when you look at the statistics, uh, electricity and gas accounts for 1% or 2% in their total expenditure. But uh, for for the as said, uh, for the poorest group, less well-off group, that can come to 7 to 8%. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that, that accounts for 7 to 8% of the most poorest group in the statistics. So you will see, although you, if you look at the energy poverty concept, that uh, we are the first green group to bring in this concept. Energy poverty is to, you know, in, in the foreign countries, you need gas to burn uh, the heat uh, for in the winter for, for the vulnerable groups, uh, for those underprivileged families. So that at least uh, it's around 10%, I mean, uh, in, in their spending. So I think uh, that is critical, much more critical for poorest group. So we need to provide uh, special support. That's very important. And they're the smaller consumers of electricity and uh, and energy. So you don't think you're going to have a situation where we th- th- that they don't do enough to uh, to save energy and to reduce energy consumption. Uh, now, now is uh, we have higher motivation because we have a, a higher electricity bill. So now we, we really can really start to think about um, making some investment, I mean, uh, for the middle class or above, uh, some kind of uh, investment in energy saving. For example, uh, once we have uh, uh, some defect electrical appliances, then we can switch. For example, air conditioners, uh, now we can use inverter one, which saves 30% or 40% more in energy consumption. So that, then we have a less electricity bill. So we, now we, we really need to seriously start to uh, think about the way, the, the area that we can save energy. Okay, in terms of uh, energy saving, uh, uh, Kitty Tam, so uh, at the moment, uh, buildings account for uh, 90% of electricity use uh, in Hong Kong. So um, the, the authorities are committed to encouraging uh, a low-carbon lifestyle and uh, to increase efforts to improve building efficiency. Um, what would you recommend that all of us as uh, individuals should do? I mean, be, just be more careful about turning off the lights and turning off air conditioners or, 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 or looking for more efficient units. 
what can we do? Uh, for individuals, I think uh, we can be smarter about it. For example, in the summer, we can uh, close all the curtains so the our uh, room will not be too hot. And in the winter, we can open the curtain and then the sun can come in and it will be hotter. And for appliance, I think that uh, if we need to buy new appliance, uh, we must buy the energy efficient one, which is the MEDL new label, gray A label, the top one. And for the new building, uh, I know that uh, when you buy a new building, when you buy a new house, uh, they will have some appliance coming together. And I think those appliance should be the top one as well. And or they should give a choice for the people to uh, buy their own appliance. And uh, to be honest, I think a lot of those um, unnecessary lighting should be switched off uh, earlier. Uh, those billboard lights, uh, like they should switch off at 10 or even earlier to save energy. If, if if we want to have any improvement in the um, in b b both energy cons uh, consumption, uh, reducing it and and helping uh, uh, people who are less well off, is it, is it, is Shan, should we consider other methods of uh, support? I mean, subsidising uh, people if they're going to you know when to replace their air conditioners with uh, with new versions or other 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 mechanisms, uh, you know, and a subsidy for installing double glazing in in a flat. Um, is, is that a good way of, uh, of helping people in need and at the same time reducing energy consumption? I think it can help some people, but uh, for, 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 for the uh, underprivileged, they, um, they, um, they need to uh, come with the uh, land or whether the land or we, we uh, have to renew it and then uh, uh, can save the energy. But I think the problem is that for the subdivider is uh, um, they have many households inside a flat, and uh, according to the uh, um, company, the electricity company, they they will charge you more if you have more people use and uh, with higher level of electricity. So that is the uh, problem. They need to pay more. So I think you need for these people, and sometimes um, even the landlord actually they charge them. Uh, and I think many of them they trust them higher. Mm. So if, if if increase of the the, the fee, they, the landlord, I, I believe they would trust them more. Mm. Mm. But, but uh, yeah, for, for the less well off, Sila is. Uh, do do you offer any advice on? Uh, you know whether it's possible for them to make uh, I think, energy I savings. Think it's, yeah. it's, uh, we, I think we should help them to uh, install some uh, safe energy uh, uh, equipment, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time they also need the subsidy uh, mm -hmm. for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if it's can thousand for one year, at least because it is pretty hard here for the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Is, uh, can I just uh, put a, put another another last question to William here? William, I mean, uh, we we still don't see double glazing in our buildings, um, and um, the uh, the kind of green building uh, codes are all kind of voluntary. There is no mandatory. I mean, is it is it upon the government to if if it's, it takes up ninety percent of our energy, is, is it not upon government to tighten up the rules and be far more aggressive in demanding that our buildings are equipped with um, energy saving components such as double glazing? Yeah, I think for Yeah, I I think um, from architectural viewpoints, uh, may, maybe double glazing uh, for our windows. Um, might might be effective in overseas due to a big difference in the indoor and outdoor uh, daytime and nighttime temperature difference. But in Hong Kong, you see it's not common. On the one hand, it increased the cost uh, for the property estate. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, is uh, uh, that won't uh, create a, a bigger uh, energy saving compared to the overseas. So that's why it's still not very common uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, but we definitely we have many different other uh, energy saving measures uh, to for our buildings. So green building standard, light beam, uh, beam uh, those uh, beam uh, standard, uh, we we can uh, fully use or, or even tighten, as you said, tighten the regulation uh, to ask for a, a higher. Uh, energy saving standard. I, I think that's important. Uh, but are you serious? Yeah. I mean, with all the glass walls that we have in Hong Kong, that it really doesn't make a difference if we go double glazing or otherwise make sure that our buildings are better insulated. I mean, it seems to me that if, if, if that buildings, if we, that's where the 90% of the energy goes, is, um, is that there should be a, a significant benefit, although it may not be the same as in a, in a cold country, but yeah. that there is a yeah, significant agree, benefit if we do this. Yeah, agree. I agree. I think those uh, uh, building with entire glass wall uh, uh, that uh, uh, has uh, got the problem of glare and also sending the heat radiation to the surrounding, uh, that should not be encouraged anymore. I, I think uh, we have a, 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 a more energy saving for scale that that's uh, very important. Mm. Okay, well, thank you uh, very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Um, that was uh, William Yu, Chief Executive of the World Green Organisation. Thank you also very much to Kitty Tam, Assistant Manager for Conservation Policy at WWF Hong Kong, and also to Sila Shan, Deputy Director of the Society for Community Organisation. Um, and just before we switch to our uh, second uh, topic uh, for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, um, I have an, uh, another email here from uh, listener Alonso. Uh, this is about uh, another issue we talk about regularly which is the, the vaccination rate among uh, the Hong Kong population um Alonso writes, uh, uh, latest government data shows that uh, Hong Kong's daily vaccination numbers have collapsed to unprecedented levels. Yesterday, a mere 1,265 people had their first jabs, while just 615 had their second shot. These represent record lows. In plain speaking, Hong Kongers have essentially stopped being vaccinated against COVID, despite the fact that only 66% of the population have been double jabbed. While this trend has been on the cards, in recent weeks, the sudden further drop this week is alarming. What is the government doing to revive its falling, its failing 
vaccine programme. Extreme circumstances require extreme measures. I suggest the following three initiatives. A. Offer five dollars to $10,000 cash for unvaccinated people who get double jabbed by year end with a bonus for those over 80 years of age. B. Follow Singapore's recent example of discontinuing to provide medical financial assistance for any unvaccinated individuals who contract COVID. C. From January the 1st next year, implement a vaccine mandate for all unvaccinated locals unless they are exempt from vaccines on medical grounds. Unless the government adopts new, more aggressive measures, there is no light at the end of the tunnel for yeah, Hong Kong. But isn't it is, is the quarantine? If you, if you don't relax the quarantine requirements and people can't travel, then people are not motivated. The moment people think that they can travel, they get their vaccination very quickly. I mean, I'm not sure that uh, put, putting people at gunpoint to, to vaccination is going to be um, a, a, as helpful. But um, uh, anyway, it's we a, got John Burns. It's a big topic yeah. and, uh, and one that we will explore, um, continue to explore in future programmes. Uh, yes, and joining us on the line now, we have uh, Professor John Burns, uh, Emeritus Professor uh, at the uh, Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And John Burns is joining us uh, to talk about uh, the possibility that Hong Kong people living in the mainland may be able to vote in next month's uh, leg Legislative Council election at uh, special polling stations set up at border checkpoints. Um, John Burns, good morning to you. Good morning. So what do you think of this idea? Well, of course, I'm all in favour of anything that makes it easier for people to vote and for expanding the... Uh, suffrage as wide as possible. This, of course, is what democracy is about. But, you know, it is kind of ironic that um, while the government is trying to restrict citizen participation in the selection of LegCo members, for example, cutting back um, to only 20 seats that we, most of us, have anything to say about, the government is now seeking to ensure that all eligible voters cast their ballots. Of course, I think that is good. They may be worried about a low turnout, but then it is also strange that the government postponed the elections in September of last year. It's had ample time to work on this. And why now only a few weeks before the polls are due to be held is, has this become an issue? It looks like they have no idea what they're doing, and it also looks like that these elections are not a high priority for the Hong Kong government. So but how, how are you going to organize uh, voting at the borders? Is, is it any clarity about how... And, and how many people are we talking about? That we don't really know how many people we're, we're talking about. I think the government... Mm. The, the census says 370,000. It could be, but... Yeah. Um, the government needs to register them. This is something that there should have been a proposal to do years ago, and it could include mail-in ballots, it could include electronic voting. There's all kinds of ways that this can be done. And the government has, you know, stood around with its head in the sand for a long time. So um, it's late to come to this, I think. Uh, there's a lot that could be done, but it takes planning, and the government has not been planning for this. So this is for people who are registered to vote in Hong Kong, 
um, but are living overseas. So they have their, they are registered. We're not addressing new registrants. So and then they have to show up with their card. How are they going to get the card if they're not in Hong Kong? I don't know. I mean, you know, they have to have an ID card. They have to have, have to be registered, yes. And then they're supposed to show up at the border, cross the border, vote, and then go back without quarantine. This is what the government hopes. Um, but, but come on, where's the planning for this? I mean, to expand the polls like this is excellent. But we should have been doing this a long time ago. Mm. And the, no one has been planning for this. This is what I would, this is what I perceive. We have the constitutional and mainland affairs people who are only working on our security. They're not working on expanding suffrage. Mm. Because obviously it'll need uh, agreement with the mainland authorities. I mean, uh, uh, the chief executive said it would uh, require an agreement that uh, that Hong Kong people based in the mainland would be able to uh, uh, cross the border, cast their ballot, and go back without having to do quarantine. So yes, yes, it would re it would require something like this. But then one media report simply said that the mainland author authorities were wondering what's all the hoopla for simply for voting. I mean, this indicates to me, too, that they don't think that this is very significant either. How, how do you think um, preparations for the election are, are going in general? I mean, um, um, Mrs Lam, uh, the other day, she, she also said she didn't want to see a, a repeat of the problems that we had for the uh, election committee uh, elections in September, where, uh, you know, it took... Um, it took a long time to count the uh, very limited number of uh, ballots that were involved in that election. Yes, I think this shows a level of competence there that is laughable. I don't really understand how this could be. The, the, the subsector election committee, subsector elections were uh, had a very, very few number of voters. And for the election uh, electoral affairs commission to not be able to manage this in a timely fashion is unbelievable of course we expect many more voters this time um of, and i would imagine that she doesn't want to repeat um, but the entire management of elections in hong kong we've had we had the elections postponed. This is not a priority for the government. That's the only conclusion I think reasonable people can draw. So uh, just a few days ago, Chris Tang made a, a big uh, issue about uh, people planning to do blank votes, uh, which kind of surprised me because uh, he was giving air to uh, something that, that hasn't been very uh, evident and hasn't been very uh, didn't have a lot of air in the general media, might have had some air on the, in, in some social media. Uh, but he gave a lot of um, uh, emphasis to it. Is, is that not promoting it in a way? In a, is it, was that not I counterproductive? Think, I, I completely agree with you. You know, I can imagine that people will be sharing on social media the ICAC warning not to do it. And so um, this seems to be shooting themselves in the foot, as they say. I, I don't understand the strat this strategy either. Um, I, I take it that they're worried about a low turnout, 
and they it, they should be worried about this. Um, but then we have these new electoral arrangements, and many people may just say it's not for me. Well, it's, it's also there. There is uh, not a lot of competition in the upcoming election, isn't it? That's all, true. All, all sides are basically the Democrats are are not participating at all. They they're either in jail or DQ'd, or uh, they don't have their nominations. Um, and but also on the on the other side, it appears to be they find it hard to get their nominations sorted out. I agree with you. This is. The government has spent all this time hollowing out the opposition uh, through the various ways that you have mentioned, and so they should not be surprised with this result. And the very, very few non-establishment faces that we see now are not well known in the community. So I think we'll just, no competition, little competition, we will not see the sort of things that Hong Kong people have come to expect. I mean, let's remember that for anyone under the age of 50, they have only known competitive elections. And so now we're turning to this this phase. It is a strange development in Hong Kong. Okay, well, we'll see how things uh, shape up between uh, now and the uh, polling day. But uh, thanks very much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, uh, John Burns there, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Um, a, a few more emails uh, before we finish uh, this morning's programme uh, on our, our main topic this morning. Um, so John writes, uh, on the subject of hydrogen, I read with interest yesterday that Li Ka-shing's listed via Cheung Kong Infrastructure, which is the largest shareholder of Hong Kong Electric, has invested in hydrogen private equity fund HYCAP. In a statement issued yesterday, the group's management said it believes that hydrogen will be of significant importance in decarbonizing energy and transport systems. It'll be interesting to see whether the group introduces hydrogen as a source of power generation in Hong Kong, where coal and gas remain the main sources. Uh, Tom says, uh, uh, Dear Backchat, my company offered the Hong Kong government the opportunity of a free trial to convert the city's 6 million tonnes of municipal solid waste into electricity or other forms of energy. This was flatly refused over 10 years ago by Elvis Au, who was a senior official mm -hmm. at the time. Um, Recently, I offered to pilot to MSW, that's municipal solid waste, to be converted to uh, refuse-derived uh, fuel. Again, no interest. Greta is right. It is a greenwash. Well, we will be building the incinerator, and there is going to be energy, energy capture, and, and they will link it to, to a power supply system. So I guess government is moving, but not necessarily in the way that he has proposed. Uh, but it would be interesting to find out more of, of its proposals. OK, OK. All right, well, uh, thanks very much, uh, for, for your input today, Paul, for, uh, for being uh, our co-host on this morning's programme and uh, uh, look forward to seeing you again uh, the next time, sure. uh, sometime soon. And uh, just before we go to the news summary and uh, morning brew, uh, let's have a quick look uh, at the weather then. It's going to be mainly fine and very dry today. Uh, top temperature about 24 degrees, uh, moderate north to northeasterly winds. The outlook mainly fine and very dry in the next couple of days. Uh, temperature difference between day and night will be relatively large, milder during the day early next week. It's currently 21 degrees, humidity 41%. The red fire danger warning is in effect. 
As the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 increases with age, vaccines are highly recommended for the elderly. Common side effects are usually mild and temporary. Experts advise that those who have had flu shots before can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Even if you have a disease, you should get vaccinated as long as your condition is stable. Just staying home doesn't mean you're free from the risk of infection. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated early. The news summary with Todd Harding. China and the United States have set out plans to work together to combat global warming. China's climate envoy, Xie Jinhua, said Beijing was willing to work with the U.S. to strengthen dialogue and cooperation on climate change. His U.S. counterpart, John Kerry, said the two leaders had agreed to work together even though there was no clear path forward. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, has condemned Belarus as an authoritarian regime that's using migrants to destabilize its democratic neighbors. Speaking after a meeting at the White House, Ms. von der Leyen said the United States and the EU were planning to impose more sanctions on Belarus. And the American plane maker Boeing has admitted liability for the deadly crash two years ago in Ethiopia of one of its 737 MAX aircraft. All 157 people on board were killed in the crash, which followed a similar one in Indonesia. In a submission to a court in Chicago, Boeing acknowledged the plane was unsafe. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Thursday, right here on The Morning Brew. I'm Phil Whelan. After 11 today, our vet, Dr. Dave Gething, will be with us for this week's house call. Following on from his stardom on Back Chat on Monday, when he talked about the naughty buffaloes in Lantau, we'll have a chat about the actual chemical and physical, apart from the obvious one, changes that occur after these and other animals are neutered. And some other bits and pieces. And, of course, he wants to answer any of your furry questions as well. Morning Brew at rthk.hk or much easier to find us on Facebook. Twelve ten. Welcome back after some time, explorer and coaster Paul Neal. He'll be with us to talk about his latest boy's own adventure. So after having climbed both Mount Everest and Dechok Podrang in Tibet, and also having created with his wife Esther the popular adventure cleanup Hong Kong, he's now joining a team of experts on the hunt for what they believe is the wreckage of a downed American warplane in 